Vincent Werbeck's Derby. Andy, uh, as he said, we're talking about detoxing for the soul. Last week he kicked us off with silence and solitude. This week I get the joyous topic of fasting. What? I always get the good ones. They always think, oh, yeah, that's a tricky one. Let's give that to Anna. Shove that over there. But um, if there's ever a good time to be talking about fasting, I think January has got to be it. How are the New Year's resolutions going? Anyone sticking to them? Anyone? Anything? All right. Mug Phil in the corner there. 12 days in, he's still on it. Uh, any to be a little bit more healthy? Eat a little less? No? All right. Well, let's hope. It's not looking too hopeful from your reactions. But um, January tends to be that time, doesn't it, when we start to think about new rhythms, new patterns, new routines, things that we can put into place that might bring change for, uh, for over the following year. And actually, that's what we want to be talking about over this week, next week, and the following week. Next week, we've got a guest um, preacher coming from London, and so we've given him the delightful topic of confession and repentance. So um, <clears throat> I think he's got it even worse than me, probably. But um, we're looking this evening at fasting, and I am going to briefly contrast it at the end with feasting. So if you can hold on through the fasting bit, we'll get to the good stuff at the end. <clears throat> there seem to be two extremes, fasting and feasting, but actually they're both disciplines that we can put in place, put into our lives to allow us to be prepared for what God might want to do through us. Through, uh, they might help us prepare ourselves to hear from God. They might allow us to put um, intentional practices into place that God might allow God to work through us. And that's the idea, because really, at the end of this year, what we want to be able to say is we want to be able to look back and say, I have changed, I have grown, I have become more like Jesus this year. If that's ever able to be quantified or, um, yeah, really recognized within our lives, that's the goal, that's the aim, that's what we're heading for to try and become more like Jesus. And so these disciplines, they're not things that we kind of tick off a tick list and say, oh, I've done that one, I've tried that. Um, But they're actually things that allow us to shape our lives, to change our lives, that we might become, hopefully, a little bit more like Jesus. Many of us are maybe waiting on God. It's often um, something that is difficult within our lives. Maybe we're trusting God for a situation. Maybe we're hoping that he will bring change. Maybe we're waiting for guidance. Maybe we're waiting for a situation to be transformed. But as we wait on God, these, per- these practices, these habits, these disciplines can allow us to wait well. The word wait within the Bible actually often is, uh, can be translated eagerly expectant. It's not a passive waiting, it's an active waiting. And as we wait on God, we can put these disciplines into place so that we are eagerly expectant that God will work. When or where or how, we may not know, but know that he will. So fasting helps us focus our attention on God. It helps us direct our thoughts towards him. 
And feasting, and really when I say feasting, um, it was a nice contrast, but by feasting I really mean taking that time to slow down, to stop, to celebrate, to spend time with our loved ones, with family, with friends, or to spend time with people who we maybe just pass by fleetingly, but actually God is saying, maybe just invest in that person a little bit more. Slowing down in order to say, actually... This world is not run by me. I am not in control. God is in control. And if I stop for a day, it's not all going to fall apart. We are dependent on God. God is not dependent on us. And I think that's what the fasting and the feasting disciplines can allow us to realize. We don't often talk about fasting. Um, I'm not sure whether it's something that you do regularly or have in place um, or have done over the years. I think this is probably the first sermon at Werbs, so we can at least say this is the best ever sermon on fasting at Werbs. It's my only claim to fame. And yet fasting is actually mentioned in the Bible 77 times, which is more than baptism. And we've definitely talked about baptism before. So whether you're used to fasting, whether it's something that you do regularly, whether you know a lot about it, or whether it's something you've never even really heard about or even considered before, I hope tonight that we'll just be able to afresh think about it or, um, and how we can incorporate this into our lives. But just before we start, I just want to put a disclaimer out there. As I talk about fasting, um, I am mainly talking about food, and within the Bible it does mainly talk about food. But it may well be that for very good reasons, health-wise, it is not wise for you to be fasting. And so please don't hear this and um, feel guilt or feel any sense of pressure or expectation that this is something you must be doing. There are other ways that we can fast. It doesn't just have to be food. So please, as as I go through this sermon, if it's not wise, if it's not right for you in the situation that you're in, or for your health, or for whatever reason, please don't feel any sense of this is something I must do food-wise. And there are other ways and other methods that might be more suitable or appropriate. Jesus um, teaches on fasting in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts by his teaching with the words, when you fast. There's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no when you might, whether you might do this or not. There's no maybes about it. The assumption that Jesus makes is that his disciples are fasting. They are putting this discipline into, into place. And the next verse follows on, but when you fast. And if we just flick back um, to the previous verses in chapter 6, Jesus starts, teaching his, that starts the chapter by teaching on giving. And he starts the chapter with... But, um, Sorry, he starts the chapter with, when you give. The following verse, but when you give, it carries on. The next few verses on in chapter 6, Jesus teaches about prayer. And he starts it with, when you pray. The next verse on, he carries on, but when you pray. The pattern is repeated, when you fast, but when you fast, And he's comparing and contrasting fasting, giving, and praying. And he seems to have the same level of expectation over each of those three things. They're all described in the same way, in the same pattern. Giving, praying, fasting. And Jesus is expecting that each of those three things would be seen within his disciples' lives. 
And I'm not sure, maybe you're not like me, but for me, those three things are not at the same level within my life. I know a lot more about giving. I do a lot more praying, certainly, than I do fasting. And actually, um, if I was listening to this sermon, I'd begin beginning to feel a little bit like I wishing I, wishing I wasn't listening to it, because I'm actually pretty terrible at fasting. To be honest with you, I find it quite difficult, um, not very enjoyable, and I'm really pleased to be speaking on it, as you can see. So I'm hoping that out of this sermon, at the very least, I can at least challenge myself to change my attitude and my expectations over fasting. It is a challenge, it isn't an easy topic, and it is pushing us. But I think sometimes that's a good thing and that is necessary and God calls us to maybe take a step deeper, to calls us to go a little bit further, to try something new, that we might see him move in new and different ways in our lives. So fasting, we're going to talk about the why, the how and the when. And then we'll get on to the feasting bit. So why should we fast? The first thing is that it teaches us humility. My experience is fairly minimal. I have fasted um, a few times here and there, fairly sporadically. I've tried to do it regularly, a day a week for a season, but I've never been very good at sustaining it. And it's always been fairly unimpressive. I, um, it has definitely humbled me. I am amazed every time I try to fast at how much my mind is occupied with food how much I'm counting down the hours until I can eat, how much I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat next. It is humbling to realise how dependent we are on food. And a lot of my life revolves around food. Every day the children want another meal. They're always expecting to be fed. It's always a case of, okay, what are we going to have next? And actually that dependence and that requirement that on food... The realisation that we are so dependent on food is a humbling experience, but it's also a privileged experience because I think about those who um, maybe fasting isn't a choice and they've had to go without food because it's a necessity, because there is no food, because they can't go to a cupboard and just help themselves to something. And it's humbling to realise how privileged we are And it's humbling to realise how dependent upon food I am. I'm not sure if you've heard the word hangry, which is anger that is brought on by hunger. It's definitely an issue in our house, not just for the girls. I have been known to, um, on occasion actually, even my dad has presented me with a jacket potato because that is one of my favourite foods and it's the recognition there is nothing else that is going to solve this situation. I'm just going to present her with this jacket potato and walk away and hope that that solves this situation that is going on here. The fact that our moods can so swing and can so go up and down dependent on food is a humbling thing. Practicing the discipline of fasting allows us to see what controls us. And as we take away some of those good things that we're so used to, it uncovers what's really going on inside us. We so easily allow some of the non-essentials in life to take over and to control us, rather than allowing ourselves to be sustained and dependent on God, rather than allowing God to control us. 
It's so often the things around us. And actually, we should be turning to God for nourishment, for feeding from him, rather than the world around us. Every Lent, Phil gives up something, something different every year. It's always a challenge. The year it was caffeine, that was a tricky one for us all to sustain through the 40, uh, 40 days. But every year he does it, every year he sticks to it, he's very smug about it, but he makes it, he has every year made it through the 40 days without breaking his uh, fast, without breaking Lent. I have tried to um, give up something for Lent once, and I lasted a week. It's a humbling experience. I couldn't last longer than a week without needing chocolate. And actually, I, um, I need to learn how to turn that dependence and that hunger on material things into a dependence and hunger for God into a longing for him and a hunger for him and actually to be so desperate for him to move, for him to break through, for him to change things that I am willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to go deeper and to see him working over and above all else in my life. In the Bible we see a number of examples of fasting and in Psalm 35, David, the King David says that he humbles himself by fasting And at the other extreme, in 1 Kings 21, we see King Ahab, who's an evil king and who has brought disaster upon uh, the people and destruction. He is brought to his knees and forced to face the reality of his life and all that he has done. And his response is to tear his clothes, to put on sackcloth and to fast. God's response to this, response to Ahab's reaction, is to say to Elijah, Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day. So from King David, the most renowned and esteemed king of Israel, all the way to King Ahab, the most evil and cruel king of king, not of Israel, but king. Actually, fasting had the same effect on them both. Fasting caused them both to be humbled to realize that they are, they are not God, we are not God, that we are reliant upon him and that we need him to sustain us. We need him to be at work in our lives. So fasting, it teaches us humility, but it also strengthens our prayers. Prayer and fasting so often go hand in hand. Again, we see throughout the Bible so many examples of people turning to prayer and turning to fasting as well to strengthen those prayers, to show that desperation to God that they are um, absolutely in need of him to move, to break through. They're facing a difficult or even impossible situation. And so they turn to God with prayer and with fasting to plead and implore on him to move for their behalf. In Ezra chapter 8, they're seeking protection and safety. And they say, we proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. In Nehemiah chapter 1, when Nehemiah hears about the situation in Jerusalem, he hears about the destruction of the city, the disgrace that has been brought. His reaction is to sit down and weep. And it says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. 
And in the New Testament, we see in Acts chapter 14, leaders being chosen and appointed to being sent out to lead the different churches. And they say, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord. There may be times when we sense that there is a need for greater urgency. There's a need or we have within us a greater desperation to show God that we are committed, to show him that we are willing to sacrifice in order to see him move. We may need guidance for a situation. We may need God's intervention. We may need him to transform a circumstance that seems impossible or hopeless. It may be something that we have been waiting for. Or maybe it is something that we need to repent and change in our lives. There's a friend of ours who um, felt called to pray and fast for his daughter, for her faith. He felt like her faith was not strongly established within her life. She was um, into the late teens and it's a tricky age and stage. And he felt there was a need or God was calling on him to pray and to fast, to fight and contend for her faith and actually the faith of his other children. So for two years, he spent a day a week praying and fasting for the faith of his daughter in particular. And she is now fully committed and um, living her life for Jesus. And whether that fasting was linked or not, there's no way of knowing. But he felt called to do that by God. That God might move in a new and a different way. That his prayers might be strengthened by that purpose and that focus. So fasting teaches us humility. It strengthens our prayers but it also brings a reward. We're just going to look a little bit more at those verses that I talked, out, talked about at the beginning. Matthew um, chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. So when you fast, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So there's a don't, there's a do, and there's a promise in this passage, in this section. But before we get to the promise, the final bit, actually the passage gives us some really good insight into the motivation and the inspiration for fasting, for right and wrong on both, on both parts. It says don't look somber when you're fasting. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't make it all about you. Don't try and look holier than thou and put, it, put yourself on, kind of on a pedestal. But do wash your face. Always good advice, always good to be remembered. Something that I might draw my daughter's attention to. There are some secrets that are good. There are some things that are right to be kept just between us and God. And I'm not talking about those things that are um, dark or destructive or have a hold on us. There are things that do need to be brought into the light, that need to bring healing, to be talked about, to be open about and honest with other people. But there are some things 
that actually we should keep between God and ourselves, whether it's fasting, whether it's giving, whether it's praying. Sometimes our motives so easily can be mixed. We are complex human beings and it's difficult to know quite what our motivations are. We do long to seek God. We do long to, uh, to find him when we do these things. But uh, sometimes there can be a mixed motivation. And so in keeping it secret, in not telling others, it enables us to know I am doing this for God. I am doing this because he has called me to. I am doing this for the right motivation. And we see the wrong motivation throughout the Bible as well. In Isaiah, God condemns the people of Israel for fasting, which seems a strange thing. But he condemns them because they're doing it not only with the wrong motivation, but moreover because it has absolutely no impact on their lives. They do it because out of duty. They do it because they have to. And then they carry on with their ways that are not right. They do not care for those around them. They show no justice to those who are in need. And actually when we do these things for God but it has no effect upon our hearts, it does not change us, then we're doing it for the wrong motivation. Because as I said at the beginning, the whole point of these disciplines is that we would be changed, that we would draw closer to God, that we would align our hearts with his heart, that we would learn more of his purposes for us and that we would become more like Jesus. But back to the reward. We've talked about the don't, we've talked about the do, we've talked about the motivations, whether it's wrong or whether it's right. This is the good bit. We're getting to it. The passage ends with this promise. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God knows our hearts. He knows that we are seeking after him. He knows when we are desperate for him, when we are in need of him to move. He knows when we have chosen to humble ourselves, to sacrifice, to give up things, to call on him. He will reward us. There's a promise there to hold on to. Even when it may feel like nothing is happening or there is no change, the promise is he will reward us. It may not well be the reward that we're hoping for. At the end of any time I ever fast, I'm always hopeful a check might magically appear. Payment for doing so well within my fasting. So far, it's never yet happened. So if you're looking for that kind of reward, then fasting probably is not the best way forward. It may not be what we're wanting or expecting, but God will reward us. And his ways are always good. And his ways are always right. Over the past few years, there's been two occasions when I feel like I've seen God move, maybe in response to fasting, you never really know, but um, I think in response to that. One way in in an impossible situation that I hadn't expected at all, God transformed it totally. And in another, a couple of months ago, this time I had decided just to give up a few types of food. It wasn't a kind of total fast, like a day a week, but it was a few days a week when I didn't eat meat um, and a few other things I'd cut out. I can't, it was, um, yeah, I basically had tried to go vegan, which for some people is probably not a fast, is a normal lifestyle, but for me it was a bit more of a challenge. So I was trying to cut out some foods. I was trying to be more disciplined 
And over that time, it was a number of weeks, uh, nothing discernibly happened at the start, and nothing really massively changed. But within the midst of it, I had this moment of revelation. And as I realized, I was reading through my prayer journal, which I don't write in every day, but I maybe managed to write in um, once or twice a week. I realized that over September, October, November last year, over those th- that three-month period, I'd written in it twice, which in comparison to the previous six months of the year was quite a contrast. There was something that had noticeably shifted and had changed within my patterns. And when I realized what it was, I realized a decision that I'd made that had been wrong, and I made the decision to give that up and to stop. I felt this moment of revelation and this moment of God speaking. From that point on, over the next week or so, I felt like God spoke to me much more clearly, or I was much more aware of him speaking. And I think, though, that pattern of um, fasting, of trying to put myself in a place where I was prepared to hear God, where my heart was open to what he might want to say and to what he might want to do, there was a moment where God brought revelation and change in a really unexpected way for me. So we fast because it teaches us humility. You to hurry up, just for time. It strengthens our prayers and it brings a reward. We've got hot dogs to cook. Talking about fasting, it doesn't quite go, does it? Nobody will want to eat the hot dogs now. Um, so, on to some of the practicalities. How and when do we fast? Interestingly, within the Bible, there are no direct commands. There's nothing really specific, but there's a lot that can be inferred from the different stories and the different times it's mentioned throughout the Bible. Sometimes there's total fasts, and within the Bible there's a few kind of supernatural fasts where people, um, Moses goes without food or water for 40 days. That's not probably something to uh, try and put into practice straight away. Or ever, actually, unless actually called to by God very specifically and very clearly. But there are moments when people totally fast from God for a period of a day or more than a day. Or a partial fast, as I was talking about, where we give up certain foods for a length of time. Daniel um, chooses only to eat vegetables and, um, and avoid all other choice foods when he's working for the king for, I think, three weeks. So there are different lengths of times, there are different patterns, there are different habits, and it's probably a case of working out what works best for you. In the time of John Wesley, um, interestingly, Methodist ministers would only be allowed to be ordained if they fasted twice a week. Good thing the rules are different in the Church of England, hey? Phil, I'm not sure you've made it through. Um, Often as well, actually, today, as we briefly mentioned earlier, we can choose to fast from other things as well as food. Things like social media or TV or things that take our time and attention. Because actually they can be as much a distraction to our focus and our ability to attend to God and to attend to his purposes. It's a busy and a distracted world. It's so easy And actually, um, Andy touched a bit on this really last week with the silence and the solitude and the value of that switching off some of those distractions that we might hear from God. And there are many um, books and blogs out there, so if you want to know more, do please get in touch. 
um, Celebration of Discipline, which was written by Richard Foster many, many years ago, but actually is still very good, very clear, very practical advice. That's a great one if you're wanting to read a bit more. There's many who can explain it far better than I can. But the two factors that I think are key within the how and the when are intentionality and purpose. When we're going to fast, actually we need to be intentional about it. We need to pick a specific day. We need to pick a time. We need to pick what we're going to fast. And we need to pick a period that we're going we're gonna to do that for. Unless we put a plan into place, unless we're intentional about this, it's very unlikely for it to happen. Whether it's a day a week, whether it's um, once every so often, whether it's for a few days a week, whatever the period of time is, we need to choose it and be intentional about it. And we need to have a purpose. As I mentioned about our friend, he, he had a purpose. He was praying for his daughter's faith. So in those moments when it's difficult, in those moments when you're really considering, is this worth it? Is this doing anything? Is this making any difference? Our minds can turn to what is the purpose? What is my, why am I doing this? Why have I been called to fast? What am I fasting for? It gives a reason for our sacrifice and it gives us something to spur us on, to encourage us to keep going. So as we finish, I'm just briefly going to get to the feasting section. We've talked a lot about fasting. And this feels like a complete contrast. But again, throughout the Bible, we see so many examples of feasting. When Jesus in particular, he chose to sit with others. He chose to eat and drink. He chose to celebrate. He chose to turn water into wine. He chose to enjoy time with those around him. Jesus, who had the most demands upon his time, he had crowds gathered around him at all times, and yet he chose to deliberately slow things down, to spend time with those he cared for, but also those he maybe found difficult. He's often found eating with the Pharisees, with people who might challenge him. There is a time for fasting and there is a time for feasting. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 15, Jesus is being questioned by John's disciples. And they ask him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answers them, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. There was a time for celebration and feasting. And there was a time for fasting. And over the past few weeks with Christmas and with all the different celebrations that have gone on, it may well have been a good time for fasting and for celebrating. One of our favorite days as a family was the day that nobody got dressed. Nobody washed their faces. We... Um, we didn't do much, we didn't go anywhere, we all had our own space and time, and we just slowed down. It was a good contrast to all that had gone before, the busyness, the celebrations, the time with family and friends, the fun, the serving, the church services. And the benefit of these disciplines is that we put them into a rhythm and a pattern that contrast and complement each other. So there may be seasons of fasting, but there may be seasons of feasting. 
Feasting has its benefits. Maybe part of a Sabbath, the part of the routine of slowing down, of stopping, of saying, actually, the world is not dependent upon me. I am dependent upon God. And as we choose to, re- to slow down, we choose to say, I am not in control. God is. And fasting also has its benefits in contrast. It keeps us humble. It draws us close to God. It helps our hearts be aligned upon him. But it also allows us to say, I want to be dependent upon God, not dependent upon the things around me. I want God to be in control of my life, not me to be in control of what else is going on around us. Jesus set us examples for both. He set us guidelines for both. But it enables us to hear him. It enables us to prepare our hearts for him. It enables us, these disciplines enable us to become more like Jesus. That is our hope and our prayer over the year. So one final quote from a book called Reappearing Church. I believe that God is looking for a people amongst whom he can dwell. His kingdom comes to those who hunger and thirst after his righteousness. And therefore, throughout history, we observe a pattern. When we cry out to him, when we repent of the ways that we've ignored him, where we've pursued our own human-driven plans in our own strength, when we take a posture of contending for his kingdom to come with power, we see that he moves. We don't get to choose how he moves, yet the biblical record and the church history prove the words of God from 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, that God moves when his people humble themselves, when they pray, when they seek his face and they turn from their sin. And actually, that's what we want as we humble ourselves, as we choose to declare that we are dependent on God. We, need, we choose to seek him. And in response, he moves. His kingdom comes. He is at work. He is bringing breakthrough and change. And he will hear our prayers. He will bring a reward. However that might look, whatever that might be. Actually, the challenge is to slow down, to stop to be able to hear from God, to be humble, to spend our time well and wisely and to see what he might do in response. One last um, slightly more specific challenge. Um, As Andy said, on Wednesday we have our prayer night and last Wednesday we met and out of what Andy had spoken on the following, the previous Sunday on silence and solitude, we actually had an evening where we put that into practice and we had some time for silence and solitude. So this Wednesday I'd like to also put the challenge in place that maybe if it works for you within your schedule and within whatever else you have going on, maybe Wednesday or maybe one day this week, you could make a choice to intentionally fast for a specific purpose, for something within your life or within the church life or within um, the the life of our city. Maybe there's people that you're wanting to invite to Alpha or people whose lives you're wanting to see changed. Maybe there's something specific that you want to see God at work in. So my challenge would be whether you miss a meal, whether you give up social media, whatever it might be, that this Wednesday or this week we might fast together 
and that there might be stories to tell of how God moves in response to us choosing to seek him. So if that's the case, if there is a story to tell, if you, um, you want to share how well you got on or maybe how difficult you found it, we'd love to hear those stories, either on Wednesday or the following Sundays. So please do get in touch and let us know. But that's the challenge for this week, if you're able and you're uh, willing. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the challenge within the Bible, that as we read your word, it records so many different people over thousands of years who humbled themselves before you, who chose to seek you, who fasted and prayed that you might move. And so thousands of years on, Lord, we want to do the same. We want to humble ourselves before you. We want to seek you. We want to pray that you might move in this land again, that you might do what you have done before, that you might be bringing revival and renewal within our city, that you might be bringing salvation and healing. Lord God, I pray you be stirring our hearts to this challenge, that we might be stirred and encouraged and moved to all that you are calling us to.